1 John, we're going to be in chapter 4, and I'm going to read verses 7 through 12. First John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. Hear the word of our God. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we're warmed with the truth that John puts in front of us, your love. And we pray now that you would give us mind and heart that we might comprehend your great love towards us, that we would be encouraged and carried forward in the faith. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, Christmas presents us with a cluster of glorious truths. As you think about it, Christmas opens up to us so many great and glorious doctrines. There's the incarnation, there's the the virgin birth of our Savior, there's the two natures of Christ, there's the the start of our Lord's humiliation for us and our salvation. And as we take up and as we look at each one of these glorious doctrines, as we consider its unique glory and wonder, it becomes evident that these, these doctrines are driven along, are pushed forward by yet another doctrine. Or we could put it like this. Why did the Son of God come down from heaven for us and for our salvation? Why did he become incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary? Why was he made human? Why the humiliation? And what sort of answer can we give to that tonight? Well, John gives us an answer. We heard it. He said in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, God is love. Since the beginning of September, we've been studying as a church the attributes of God, and here on Christmas Eve, I think it's most fitting to open up yet another one of the attributes of God and study it together, and that is the love of God. And when we consider Christmas and all the doctrines that are connected with it, we see in them all the love of God. Better said, all of the doctrines that I listed off, the incarnation, the virgin birth of our Savior, His humiliation is driven along because of this fact, God is love. And so we can ask tonight, well, what does this doctrine of God's love mean? Well, to begin with, this means something about our God, God himself. 1 John 4, 8 is telling us something about the divine nature. And we can think about this as laying down a, a foundation. And so we ask, well, what is God like? John says, God is love. The divine nature is love. And if the divine nature is love, therefore, All of God is love. Reasoning as we think through this theologically, we can say that there is no competition within the divine nature between God's holiness and righteousness and goodness and his power and his love. We think of Psalm 85 verse 10, and it rings true in our ears. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. 
And we can reason with deeper insight. We understand in light of God's simplicity and perfect unity that God's love is not some sentimental, sappy, purely emotional, soap opera, rom-com sort of love. No, his love is a holy love, and his love is a righteous love, a love that can never err, never waver from the truth, a love that's always perfectly consistent with the fullness of his divine nature. His love is omnipotent. It is full of mighty power. His love is infinite. It has no top or bottom or side. It cannot be measured or comprehended. His love is sovereign and it is completely free. It is perfectly absolute in nature. It is self-derived love. Even more, 1 John 4, 8 tells us something about the life and the existence of God. God's life within himself is a life of love. Or to put it like this, what was God doing before the foundation of the world? Or to ask another question, what will God be doing 10,000 ages from today? And the answer is this, love. The Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father, and they communicate this love to each other through the Spirit who proceeds from both the Father and the Son. The Godhead then is this, a unity bound up in a fellowship of holy and perfect love. And so John tells us something so simple in John 4, 8. He says, God is love. But as we look at that simple truth, it opens up to us the depths of our God. And these words, God is love, should thrill our hearts as God's people. Our God is love, and therefore he is perfectly lovely to us. And so there we have a solid foundation. But as we think about 1 John 4, 8, God is love. There is so much more that needs to be said about who God is and who he is for us. And so what I want to do on Christmas Eve, setting us up for the the birth of our Savior, I want to give you four observations on God's love from the, the text that I read. And so the first observation is the source of love. So look at verse 7. John says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God. And if you're listening to that verse, or if you're looking at it in your Bible, you can tell that John is employing an argument with us. He's arguing with us. He wants us to do something, and we would do well to follow his argument. And so John starts off, verse 7, with a call. He wants us to get something done. Beloved, let us love one another. And why does he give us this call where there's an answer? Love is from God, John says. And then he deepens that thought and he says, everyone who has been born of God by necessity loves. In fact, John argues, if there is no love in that person, it reveals that they haven't in fact been born of God. He says in verse eight, anyone who does not love God does not know God. And think about verse seven, it's like grabbing hold of a string. And as we follow the string that John gives us in his argument, working our way through his logic, we are led to the source of love. And the source of love is God himself. And here we see something glorious. Let me put it like this. Love is not a naturally occurring resource in this world. You can't go out and mine for it and then acquire it. Love is not something that you can self-generate. You can turn on the motor and out comes 10 ounces more of love. No. John makes clear there's only one source of love in this world, and it is God himself. So what is John telling us? He's telling us this, God, we should think of him as a great fountain of love, the only fountain. And from that fountain, he pours forth love. 
And so the love you experience in your life, the love found in between Christian brothers and sisters that comes from the fountain of God, or the love found between a man and a woman that is love from God, or a love found in Christian families that also comes from God. And so we see this in 1 John 4, 7. The source of love is God. And that's one observation. Another observation is that God's love is absolutely free in nature. So John shows us that love is from God, and if we're thinking with images in our heads, we can think of this great fountain overflowing with love that we taste and experience. But we ask, well, what does it mean for this great God to give away his love? And we need to use great care here. Truly, God is a great fountain, and it is his delight to give away his love. He bestows it on creatures again and again and again, but we must always maintain this fact. God does not love his creatures by necessity. And John captures this well in verse 10. He says this, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And that's worth our thinking. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. John is telling us that God's love is not a repayment. You scratched my back and now I will go and scratch your back. He's telling us that God's love is not driven by compulsion. Because you are so lovely, I cannot help but love you. God's love is not driven along by some sort of need. I cannot be complete unless I have you and love you. Instead, John tells us that God's love is free. He loves whom he wills, and he does so according to his own good pleasure. And he loves those who have no loveliness, and his love makes those who have no loveliness lovely. The Apostle Paul reflects on this same truth. He says this in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the truth is before us, God's love is free in nature and it comes to us, therefore, as a free gift without desert or warrant. And this brings us to a third observation. God demonstrates his love. If we back up in 1 John and go to chapter 3, verse 18, John says this, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So according to John, love is not this sentimental feeling, and it's not just pouring forth gushy words that make everybody feel great. John is telling us love must be demonstrated. It's not just in word or talk, but in deed. And if this is true for Christian living, how much more true is it about our God, that he will demonstrate his love? And we see that in the text that I read to you. Twice in our verses, John repeats himself almost exactly. He says in verse 9, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his Son into the world. And then John almost repeats those words again. Verse 10, he says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And so we ask, well, what is love? What is God's demonstration of love? What is love indeed for God? Well, John answers twice, it is the sending of his son into this world. He wants us to see that. And what does it look like for this God who sent his son into the world to love? Well, he tells us it looks like a bloody death for his son. 
It looks like his son given up for sin so that his people would escape judgment and find forgiveness. John uses the word propitiation for our sins. And we see here that love is no cheap thing for our God. It is not just love and words, but he loves indeed. In fact, we see this great truth. In love, God gives himself freely and fully to his people, and he holds nothing back in the process. He gives forth his son. And John underscores this because he wants us to see the preciousness of God's love. He repeats, God sent his son. God sent his son. And he's telling us, don't you see? God has freely given of himself to you. So that's our third observation, the demonstration of God's love. And a fourth observation, the aim of God's love. As we're taking all of this in, we're, we're hearing these truths about God's love, and we ask, well, where is God's love taking us? Or to think about it more from God's perspective, what does all of this love actually accomplish in and among his people? And John gives us a bunch of answers. In fact, if we work through our text, he strings answers together. What does God's love accomplish? Well, verse 10, he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. What does God's love accomplish? It accomplishes forgiveness for his people. John goes on, he keeps leading us. Verse nine, God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. What does God's love produce? It produces life in the son of God that a people might live in him and through him. John goes on, verse seven. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. God's love does what? It, it produces a love for all of God's people. And John keeps going, look down to verse 12. He says, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Abides in us, perfected in us. What is John saying? He's telling us God's love creates a, a holy fellowship and a bond between him and his people. We just take all of that in, those string of answers, and we ask, well, what does God's love produce? Well, we see it. His love draws us to him that he might have us as his own and that we might have God as our own. God's great purpose in shedding abroad his love is that he might draw us into the fellowship of the Godhead and that we might share in his own love and have it for ourselves. In fact, this is what Jesus understood. Before Jesus was betrayed and before he suffered and bled and died, Jesus prayed in John chapter 17 and he understood that this was his work. He prays, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Why? What does Jesus want? That they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus anticipates fellowship between God's people, himself, and his Father. And so love what? Love leads us to God. Better said, love brings us into God himself. So here is the truth we need to think about at Christmas. God is love. This is the great truth that meets us this Christmas Eve. It is a glorious doctrine. And it is a doctrine that drives along all the other truths at Christmas, the incarnation, the two natures of Christ, our Lord's humiliation, and all the work he does for us, driving it along is a doctrine of love. So here's the question. How then should we respond to this God of love? What should we do in light of what John says in 1 John 4, 8? 
well, we should do this. We should consciously enjoy the love of God. Hear this and rejoice. Hear this and enjoy. God is love. That's who he is. Our God is an infinite being full of love who dwells in a fellowship of holy love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is a fountain of love, giving forth his love freely and without cost, without requirements. And he has done this most manifestly in the giving of his own son. And he has done this so that sinners might enjoy fellowship with himself and enjoy his love now and tomorrow and world without end. And so here is the call this morning. Brothers and sisters, take hold of the doctrine of the love of God and don't let go of it. It is a sweet doctrine. It is a doctrine that can lift your soul up in the darkest of times. Better said, take hold of Jesus Christ tonight and do not let go of him. For in him, we find the love of God made manifest. God sent his son, John tells us. And even more, as you celebrate tonight into tomorrow, I urge you, go yet again to the fountain of love and enjoy the love of God. For there is an infinite supply of love for you to enjoy. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we do enjoy your love, and we have tasted it in Jesus. How precious and sweet your love is. And we ask now that you would shed abroad your love in our hearts through your spirit, that you would cause us to rejoice and enjoy your son all the more, knowing, knowing your aim, that you might have us for yourself, and we might have you ourselves. We pray, would you glorify your son's name in our midst now? We pray in his name. Amen.